Hello, welcome back to China Manufacturing Decoded from Sofist. Special episode 148 today because there's not only myself, Adrian, from the team, but I've got our CEO, Renault, with us and also our head of new product development, Andrew, as well. So uh, hello to both of you. Yeah, hello, Adrian. Thank you. Yeah, hi. Interesting topic. Yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is an interesting topic today, and that's why we've got reinforcements with Andrew on the recording as well. And uh, what we're talking about today is basically when we need patents for new hardware products and new hardware products in particular, because this is something, of course, that we work with quite a lot at the Sophie's group. But in general, this is the sort of question that people who are developing new products tend to ask because they think, well, I want to protect my IP, so it follows that I should get a patent. However, it may not necessarily be the correct action at an early stage. There are benefits and drawbacks. So what I'm looking to do today with both of you is to go through a little bit about IP protection, which we've spoken about and written about before, of course, but also talk about when would we need that patent? What sort of patent would we go for? What are the costs? Where do we file it? And really go into detail. And hopefully the listeners will be left with a much better idea of when or why to go get that patent or other actions to take. So how does that sound? Right, right. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Adrian. So this is this is a topic where there's a lot of opinions and, you know, people who develop, who, who are designing a new product and, you know, they might speak to maybe an, an IP lawyer who might say, well, you, oh, you think your product is unique? Well, yeah, of course, you need to protect it. How are you protecting it, right? And you, you get to do a patent. And then they talk maybe to some investors and some investors will say, oh, yeah, if there's a patent that's filed and you're granted, of course, there's a higher valuation. So, this is, you know, the, the entrepreneur is thinking, well, that's really something we should do. And then on the other hand, there's people, let's say, who come more from the business side and and have uh, uh, done it and, 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 and seen it many times. And sometimes some of them even say, well, this is just pissing money, you know, for nothing. Uh, it's most of the time is useless, right? <laughs> so yeah, there were some people on Shark, Shark, Shark Tank, for example, saying that and so on. Okay, so basically what we're trying to do today is bring a little bit of structure to, you know, how, how to think about it, right? And really, the first thing we should say is that we are not lawyers. So this is a discussion from the business point of view. Uh, business only and uh, don't follow this as legal advice okay <laughs> and the very first thing we should reiterate anyway because i think it's always good advice is that if you have a uh, a concept for a new product and you you or, or even if you start to to design it well that's great when you disclose it to people especially let's say people in the industry right not potential customers that's not really the problem usually the problem is more people in the industry you know like uh, maybe an industrial designer maybe a, a potential manufacturer these kinds of people or maybe a potential distributor you know in, in in someone that you might do business with you get to sign an nda with them okay because if you fail to sign an nda with at least one of them well, later, maybe you file a patent and then, you know, this might come back to really bite you. Oh, well, you know, it was disclosed without any protection, you know, so that might cause you a lot of trouble. So anyway, it's always a good thing to get people to sign NDAs, except I, I, I repeat potential customers who are really not in the business and in the industry, right? Because you really need to get their feedback. So do not let that kind of fear of being copied uh, hold you back you need to you need to talk to people you need to get some feedback on your idea on some early mock-ups and so on it's extremely important and okay. the second thing is if you don't want to be copied or at least not too early 
don't put it on YouTube, don't put it on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, right? You know that when you do that, the, 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 the clock has started ticking. And if you are out there without, uh, without much protection, then yes, um, it's, it's easier. You make it easier for people to copy you. Okay. So these are the first two things, the very, very basics uh, that, that we should mention first. Um, th th does that make sense, uh, Andrew? Uh, do you have any other basic advice like that? Oh, absolutely makes sense. Yeah, I mean, um, that is one of the, I would say, rule number one in in patent uh, trials. I mean, you really don't want to put it out there too early. Then, you know, once your ideas are stolen or taken away, um, and, you know, it's going to be hard to catch up. One of the things that I was thinking I should uh, perhaps bring it up to our listeners is, you know, before you do anything, um, you really need to determine what type of in intellectual property protection do you need? Mm. For example, because, in, you know, I remember when I was younger, I created a document and I called it my invention. <laughs> it was a process <laughs> and a procedure. And, and then mm. I realized that, no, you can't really patent that. It's a, more like a copyright and trademark type of situation on that in that in that case so mm -hmm. i think it's important to for the um inventor to go do some research determine whether what he has invented is more like copyrightable or is it a um patent patentable uh, trade secret um you know do some research on that uh go through some inventor resources online um, maybe check some lawyers, like you mentioned. Uh, so I think that is the first step. Right. No, absolutely. Yes. It's not just about patents, as you mentioned, copyrights, uh, trademarks, and so on. We're not really going to these ones, but not everything can be patented. And there's several types of patents. I think we should also uh, talk about that. Yeah. Basically, the, the the main two types of patents from what I, I read here and there it always comes back is design patent or utility patent, right? Mm. So design patent, if your product has a certain look, well, you don't want competition to use that look, right? That, that same uh, appearance. It's really what it looks like. And you're not really... You know, you if you come up with a great new way of I don't know of um, uh, a great new kind of let's say wheelchair, okay, for handicapped people. You know, um, what is really going to be the differentiator? Is it what it looks like, or is it the mechanism behind it and how it works? Well, if it's a great new one and you don't want competition, it's probably not just the way it looks, right? It's really what it does, uh, how it solves the problem better. This kind of um, of patent doesn't really uh, protect you that much and it's kind of easy to get around. A competitor would do something that um, does the same thing but looks a bit different and that's fine and that's really easy, right? So when you see, oh, there's a patent, you know, what kind of patent is it? Because <laughs> that's design patents are kind of weak hmm. in most cases anyway, in most cases, okay? Um, now, when um, BMW comes out with a new sport car and, you know, they don't want some other manufacturer to come up with something that looks too much the same. That's very important to them. Okay. But, but usually let's say for consumer electronics and so on, it, it, it's, it, it, this is kind of weak. And then you have the utility patent, which is what it does. Now this is harder to get because you really have to show that, um, you know, the, the, the mechanics, the, the, the function, the, the way it does the, the work that it does is unique is new and it really is not it's not easy to have to get that kind of patent um but then w once you get it this is much more valuable because if your product does something really new solves a problem in a, in a better way uh, and your competitors cannot have the same approach to solving that problem um it's gonna it's gonna hold them back now depending on the the complexity of the product and everything they might come up with some other solutions maybe even better um but it's going to hold them back for a while it's going to make it a bit more difficult for them for sure right mm. uh, so um it, it's very important to to distinguish between these two kinds of patents um and and 
um, basically from what I understand, uh, there's to find a, a new patent, you need to do some research uh, and make sure that before you, you try to, to go ahead and fight it, it's not obvious that there's another product that, that is quite similar, right? Because it's going to be rejected. It's, it's really not, not smart to go ahead and spend the money to, to, uh, to apply if there's something very close. And then you, you do the application and so on. And, um, you know, depending on what you do yourself, versus what maybe you pay a specialized lawyer to do uh, and depending of course on the fees of the lawyer and and the complexity of the product and so on it, it might cost you ten thousand dollars to maybe fifty thousand dollars you know these are the kinds of numbers that i read here and there sort of usually between these two uh, these two numbers could be could be higher than 50k okay uh, but most of the time, that's what it seems to to to, uh, to to cost. So one thing that's really important, and that's for people uh, in the USA that want to sell into the USA market, uh, there's something called the PPA provisional provisional patent application. Okay, provisional meaning that you don't do any kind of disclosure. You file that PPA. Uh, it's simple. It's really streamlined. It's so much cheaper. It, it's like two hundred dollars to three hundred dollars, right? Plus maybe plus some some homework you have to do. But then, mm-hmm. it's provisional in the sense that for one year, you can decide whether you file for let's say a full patent or you just drop it. Okay. I agree with you. One of the things that are key, important aspect of this provis- provisional patent is that is that allows you to protect yourself early and put that date in for example mm-hmm. you, know, you invented something today but you don't have the money to really do full patent you can mm-hmm. today do the provisional and that will protect you in case tomorrow somebody uh, you know else invented something they'll say well you had done it already first as i understand mm-hmm. that's the real key point of the provisional patent. Yeah, it's locking the date, but it's also, let's say, and, and it's very important not to do that too early, okay? Mm. But let's say, you yes. do some market research, so, okay, you see, okay, there's something here. And it's very important to do things in the right steps, right? I, I would not do anything patent-wise before first, does it look like a good business, right? So do market research, then what is the technical feasibility? Can we do some of the technical work? Can we get close at least to a, uh, a final prototype? Then let's look into it, right? Because at that point, hopefully you haven't done any public disclosure, so you still have the option. Then let's say you see that, hey, for that we're going to have to do maybe an Indiegogo or Kickstarter campaign, or we're going to have to start to talk to distributors, you know, uh, or some... I don't know, potential licensees or potential whatever, uh, partners in one way or another, well, that becomes a bit risky. You know, do we do the provisional patent application now so that we disclose it, we see if there's good market response, we we, we get one or two production runs, we, we sell, uh, we start to distribute and we see the response from the market. And then if it really looks good, then... For one year after the PPA uh, filing, we have the option to file for a full patent, right? But we only put $200 or $300 down, right? But for one year, you can disclose it to the whole world and still you haven't had to commit to, uh, you know, okay, let's put 20 or 30K down. Uh, let's, Let's hire a lawyer to get it done the right way and so on, right? That is a big, um, a, a, a big part of the decision. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely, it makes sense, and and I think that's an excellent way, at least, to get started in the area. Because you know, as you know, a lot of people will start something but never really finish it. Uh, so mm-hmm. it would probably be not a good idea to spend a lot of money right up front, and mm-hmm. then here it is, one year later, you don't even have the drive to finish what you started. So it might be a good idea to, to start with the provisional, buy yourself time, a year, 
you lock in the date that you're protected and then work on it hard and see what where you're going to be in a year and when that time comes in a year that you feel like your product has excelled and progressed a lot and now you're at the time at a place where you could actually turn this into a money making product then mm-hmm. i think it's it's a perfect opportunity like you mentioned uh to to go for uh uh non provisional uh application mm-hmm. i i think the key here is um whether or not you're going to have a product that is uh, patentable. And at the beginning, almost many, many people don't have any idea because the product is, is the idea, more like the product is more like in, in the idea phase as opposed to real product phase. And this one year time buys them time to turn it into maybe a prototype, functional product. And like you said, you know, do some uh, market stu- studies, put this whole business plan together and then you'll have a good idea mm-hmm. what to do at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're talking about the, the cost. Actually, one thing that people mention also is that uh, you got to also have the cash to actually use the patent. So you, you file the patent and that's the numbers that are mentioned before, but then you need to, um, to maintain it. So you need to pay something every year. And yeah. then, well, if somebody infringes on it and you need, you feel you need to defend your, your position on the market and so on, actually, you need to prosecute it. And that... <laughs> Some more money. Yes. And that, and if you have to do that against a big company, well, that, that is by far the most expensive. Exactly. <laughs> right. exactly. And that's um, something you need to think about, right? As part of your whole process. I mean, if you're going to uh, be a small... Uh, needle in a haystack uh, mm-hmm. within this, you know, huge amount of competitors. Maybe no need to patent because most likely someone is going to copy anyway. Where you're not going to be able to fight with them. Right. Exactly. This is this is a good point that you make, Andrew, because we've spoken about patenting before, and oftentimes I think maybe with uh, a hardware startup, for example. The question is really, if the costs of putting a patent in place are so expensive, and it's not just it's not just the cost of the initial patent, it's the cost of maintaining it and then the cost of enforcing it as well, which could be really expensive. Are there alternatives that we can take to gain that sort of protection that we're looking for without such a huge cost? especially when you bear in mind that, as you've said, if we go online and look at, you know, a lot of consumer products, there's all sorts of very, very similar ones out there. So maybe it's almost inevitable that something somewhere will be maybe not exactly copying, but very, very similar. So how do we how how do we um, reconcile the huge costs of a patent with that? Well, uh, I'll let uh, Renaud uh, you know, you you take a, a stab at this, and then I'll have my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so there are other ways to make it, let's say, harder to to copy. First is you don't really want people to uh, reverse engineer your product, and that's something that is done, you know, so often, right? Mm. So you have I don't know the the let's say you have um, you know when Barnes and Nobles and then. Um, like the Amazon Kindle, you know, these e-readers, e-ink readers came out. I don't know, that was maybe 15 years ago now. Well, mm-hmm. there's got to be at least 20 different factories in Shenzhen that, uh, you know, pulled it out, opened it up, you know, studied it and reverse engineered, you know, how how does these things really work? And then a few years later, you had so many, you know, knockoffs here and there, yeah. right? Uh, and and that's really something that will happen no matter what, but you can make it harder, right? You can um, you, you can obfuscate, uh, for example, the the firmware. You know, you you don't put the source code on uh, right right out there. Obviously, I mean, there's there's ways to do that. You can hide, maybe you, you can even grind out the the markings of of, of the components. So people don't really know what what component is it, where does it come from. Sometimes on the PCBA, they put a layer of epoxy. Yes, um, I've seen that. They, they, they 
they pot it, right? There's there's all kinds of ways to do that. Okay. Uh, and, and that is one thing, at least make it a little bit harder for people to reverse engineer your, your product. It's already one way to make it a little bit less likely to, to be copied too closely. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, I, I think Adrian, you, you had an amazing um, question on that. I think first thing is exactly what you said, uh, uh, Renaud, you got to make it harder to copy. And, uh, you know, one of them is exactly the reverse engineering part of it. But there's also information. So, for example, there could be a, a, a product that you have that has many, many features. And it's possible to make that co- product copied, not reverse engineered, by, by, by the way, not even maybe exactly the same way, but make a new product that will have same functionality. But where mm-hmm. you can win is on the features. You will have features that they just wouldn't know how to put in the product or, um, and, and that will be one way your product will be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, um, anyway, it also comes down to business strategy anyway, right? Uh, don't want to be copied too much. Um, maybe you, you, you go for high volume, relatively low margin and with a relatively simple product in a way that, uh, it, you know, even a, a scrappy Shenzhen uh, company, cannot really undercut you much yeah. <laughs> or do you want to be sort of at the high end of your market and yeah people will copy you but they will always look uh, much inferior because your product is more innovative is you know cap- captures people's mind and so on right so mm. <laughs> marketing also obviously yeah, and, and positioning really uh, does help a lot so you were mentioning you know fighting against a big company fighting against uh, copycats I think these are the two main fears of people right uh when, when they're launching a new product so let's mm. let's take them one by one the, the the first case is that you launch a product and then a big company wants to copy it or they just want to bully you so that you get out of their market and they are just happy to keep selling the same old product without you creating a mess in their market right they will bother you even if you have a patent, right? Yeah, okay, it might make it a bit less likely, but there's so many examples of big companies bullying small companies, even if they have a patent, that it's really not something that, that will prevent that kind of behavior. And there's two examples that come to my mind, and they are they are public out there because it, it's I read about it in, in, in some books recently. One is um, Dyson, when he came out with his uh, dual cyclone, they called it, uh, uh, vacuum cleaner. They were talking with, with an American company, Amway, well, a much bigger company uh, at the time anyway, for, for you know, talking about Amway um, distributing or, you know, uh, maybe just, you know, licensing actually, I think, licensing the, the, the product, maybe making it under a certain license and so on. And Dyson send them some uh, blueprints, you know, some technical drawings and so on. So, okay, here's the way it works. And then when they saw it, the Amway guys say, oh, well, okay, let's just uh, let's just do it ourselves and uh, let him sue us. But it's a small company, whatever, right? In the UK, let, let's just take it, grab it, you know. And Dyson sued them, but it took him five years. And he nearly went out of business because of all the, the lawyer fees. And it's so complicated mm. to to litigate and show that, you know, this is our art and there's no prior art and blah, 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 blah. You know, it, it, it's so complicated. It's it's extremely um, expensive and, and and it takes a lot of time, right? I and, think that I, I have another very famous uh, example, <laughs> very similar to that, uh, Renault. Do you guys, everybody <laughs> knows uh, Nokia, right? And <laughs> But hardly anyone knows why Nokia disappeared. And exactly that same thing happened. Nokia, um, I think it was the year close to 2000, uh, is when they were trying to build and man- design and manufacture their own chipset. Well, they somehow uh, infringed in serious, in serious manner 
to Qualcomm chipset, chipset. And everyone knows that Qualcomm oh, had lots oh. of lawyers always watching Nokia and, and the rest. And there was a massive lawsuit and Qualcomm won. And exactly at that time is when the, law, uh, the, the, the judge, I remember reading in the papers, ordered Nokia to close the doors. I mean, close the whole facility. They laid off uh, over 2,500 uh, employees and closed the facility and they couldn't make any more mobile phones at all right after that and and that was pretty much the end of nokia i'm i'm sure that was not the only reason why they completely went out of business but that was the main division and i think that really kind of like you said they they lost so much money so much reputation that they just didn't think it was worth going back into it wow wow yeah so that's huge this is two big companies going one of the other's throat, right? Right. <laughs> uh, it, it's yeah. Well, anyway, we, we won't know exactly why they infringed, and uh, you know, was it that intentional? Pro- probably, right? You would say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th- this is the kind of games that the big companies play, uh, mm. even when they have Qualcomm in in front of them. I mean, that that's just dumb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cross the street. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we we have a when the USA is, is a huge market, and you. You do that to 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 a, a large and profitable and established USA company. I mean, it is just done. And another one I read about recently was Nest versus Honeywell. Uh, Honeywell oh, wow. was very happy with the, you know, sort of owning the thermostat market, and then Nest mm. came up and they, oh, it's it's smart, and it does this and it does that, and <laughs> and then Honeywell was like, who is these guys? You know, let's just sue them and pretend that they infringe an hour. Our <laughs> beta, you know, that the dick of it us, and it, it it took them so long that it was not even settled by the time uh, Google acquired Nest. It had to be settled after that between uh, uh, Google and uh, and Honeywell. Anyway, very expensive, um, and and it's really painful. So mm. that's why the patent needs to be, you know, there needs to be prior, res- I mean, research and prior art and and the filing, the you know, to get it registered and and actually get it passed, right? Really get it granted. But then you need to maintain it over time. That's also not a tr- trivial amount of money. And then you need to defend it. Mm-hmm. And again, that might be the most expensive of, of all. The second thing that people are um, worried about after you know big companies bothering them is is the the, the copycats, you know, and people always talk about China and well it's a fact that there's a lot of companies especially around Shenzhen that monitor what comes out on uh, Indiegogo, Kickstarter, YouTube whatever you know um, oh they, they talked about it, it came up on, on TV, okay what is it oh there's good reception, okay we can find a way to make it a half the price uh, sorry, a half the cost and 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 set it for um, for 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 maybe a third of the of the price, right? It, it's it's just amazing sometimes. Uh, it's it's not as nicely finished, but it's much cheaper, and they they have ways of getting some exposure. It is really uh, can be very painful. Several of our, our our clients got in trouble with this, and several went out of business. Uh, it's it's, mm. it's very very painful. Okay. So the thing is, <laughs> if you have a patent, and actually most of these clients that I'm thinking of had a patent or had a patent application underway, okay, and went out of business anyway. So if you have a patent, the problem is you put 20, 30, 40K US dollar into that, right? So that money is no longer available for you to, to grow. And you you're putting your product on the market, and you don't have a lot of fuel to to push it right um, to in, in um, marketing channels and so on. And then you have these uh, Chinese company that develop it in a simple way, not so great, but it's much cheaper. And then you have 
people maybe who covered your product earlier who get free samples and then they do, you know, oh, this this cheap Chinese product versus that brand that we covered three months ago for their Kickstarter campaign, you know, oh, you know, it does the job. It's half mm-hmm. the price, but, you know, it does the same job. Ouch. Very, very painful. Okay. Right. And even if you have a patent, and let's say your patent is already granted, let's say, right, which is often not the case. What are you going to do? It's a Chinese company, right? Your patent, usually, I mean, your patent, you need to, to register it um, in the main countries of sale of the product, right? So if it's a pure U.S. company, you're targeting the U.S. market, you go for a U.S. patent. Um, very often also a, um, a patent for, the, for, for, for Europe makes a lot of sense. Um, more often than China, because if you don't plan on sitting in China, it doesn't make that much sense. But the problem with these Chinese copycats is that they're in China, not so easy to litigate against, and you don't have a patent there anyway. So you can't really do anything against them in their home market over there in their home country. Um, and very often they set it, they drop ship it to, to your country. They're not even located in your country. Right? Exactly. So, hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, you you, you just uh, read my mind. That's what I was just thinking about the the fact that you know, uh, if if someone actually has you know patent in China, yeah, they're not going to know what's happening with their products. If people are selling it to all over the world, mm-hmm. and it may not, it may be actually infringing to some other products in US. But you know, when someone is just dropshipping one unit. Well, how do you go after that one guy, right? So it's it's a very tough situation in a global uh, when you when you look at it globally. Yes, yes, and the game that these these companies are playing, the copycats. I mean, is that ideally there's a company somewhere in the US or in Europe that came up with a nice idea, get some nice market feedback, and ideally the copycat will just steal the market from any of them and drive them out of business. And then after that, who's going to sue them? You know, after that, they can go into more mm-hmm. traditional distribution channels. Nobody's going to build the patent anyway, because it's, it was granted to a company that went out of business. Right. Mm-hmm. So yep. that is really very, very painful. And that's why the, the best protection is first to survive, right? Mm-hmm. To make sure that you survive in these cases uh, and don't spend your capital on uh, something that will not help you survive the first year. Right? Mm. So, so what you're saying here, Renault, is for a hardware startup with a really cool consumer product, for example, that, let's say, 20, 30,000 US dollars that would be spent on a patent would be potentially better spent on, say, advertising and having really great marketing and uh, building up that momentum. Right, right. Oh, yeah, oh, and it's 20 or 30 or... Can be fifty thousand dollars. Sure, sure, sure. Not sure, exactly absolutely. sure. Different people in different countries, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The numbers can really be relatively mm. high. There is one the, more thing that uh, yeah. I was going to bring it up. I don't know, mm-hmm. and what I think it will be an important to- uh, topic or something that uh, inventors need to be aware of, and that is when you have great idea and you actually have a prototype that is functioning. There's nothing like it in the world. However, mm-hmm. you have no patent. You have no protection absolutely whatsoever. And all of a sudden, an investor shows up. And then they ask you all kinds of things. And you're motivated by the fact that they're really interested. They got the money. And then you start giving the pitch. And guess what they're going to say at the end? Um, I don't think this is a great idea. I'm sorry, but no, I'm not going into it, into this. And, you know, I, I don't know if you guys remember the story of uh, one of the big U.S. companies. I'm not sure if it was Ford or GM. It had to do with the windshield wipers. The inventor actually mm. went to give a pitch to GM or one of these guys. Uh, mm. You'll have to forgive me. I don't know exactly which one. Right. They turned them down and they said, no, this that absolutely won't work. So a year later, the mm. exact uh, design was applied to a car. And this guy was poor, no money. 
and he went, they made a movie about this. He went back to, um, you know, the court and actually created, uh, you know, basically had a lawsuit against uh, this huge mm-hmm. company. One man <laughs> defended himself being basically his own lawyer. And surprisingly, he won. Mm-hmm. Now, that was one case out of many that won. I don't think that will ever happen again, but uh, it's an advice to inventors. You know, you probably don't want to go give that pitch. They'll say they don't like it. They say, you know, your idea sucks. But in reality, they'll probably go and with their money, they'll make it happen. Yeah, you got to be be careful you get to get people to, to, um, you get to take your precautions, I would say. It's always a good idea anyway to talk to a lawyer. And the advice would be different for B2C products versus B2B. If it's B2B, and especially if you if you try to, to set it to one, two, three big companies that would buy a lot of units, well you got to you gotta work closely with these people. You can't just keep your idea close to the vest. You got to open mm. up to a point, right? So how do you do in that case, right? That's tough, and we're not really going to cover that today. But this is the kind of questions that people need to keep in mind. But when it's mm-hmm. business to consumer, wow, that's really different. You're really more worried about your competition, right? Uh, yeah. And 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 um, yeah, the dynamic is quite different. Now, I think a simple rule of thumb is if you really see it's a home run, go ahead and file. Okay. But if you really see you have a home run, you know, at the same time, get some investors to, uh, you know, to set out some cash and make sure you still have enough cash to, to push for marketing, distribution, everything, you know, get the production going and so on. Uh, so that you go through the first year without any risk for your, for your business. Okay. And there's, there's a number of ways to see if you have a really, you know, a home run, but the problem is without disclosing it out there in public, it's a little bit difficult. Now there are, I'm not sure that that's really an open question. I don't know. I should ask a, a lawyer about that. There are software like prelaunch.com. I saw them at the CES again and some others. They actually, if you do some advertisements uh, relatively targeted in Facebook or in, uh, in, in Google, and you try to get some feedback and you try to push for some early sales over there without putting it on Indiegogo or Kickstarter or YouTube or anything like that, does it count as a public disclosure? Well, maybe, but who's going to be able to gather the evidence that you did it, right? (laughs) Because, I mean, most likely the people that you are targeting and, and, and touching this way are not in the business, you know, related to, to, to your company, to your product. They're not going to collect the evidence that you're running this kind of advertisement and disclosing some information, right? And there's mm-hmm. no trace after it's gone. So this is probably a safer way of doing market research and really collecting data that prove to investors, hey, look, there is strong a strong market response this is a very hot product mm. you know let's capitalize this business properly so that we can file a patent but really i would say never do it the other way around you know put your cash first into a patent and then go to investors and <laughs> yeah. this to me doesn't make much sense right you know um uh, Renault, you mentioned something that kind of tricked another thought um, and, and you were mm-hmm. talking about if your product is not, you mentioned that if your product is a home run, but what if your product is not a home run? It's a great product. Maybe nothing like that exists, but eventually will be day-to-day products such as, for example, mobile phones, right? Or a hamburger, I mean, you can go to many restaurants and ha- have a hamburger. It won't taste like McDonald's. It won't taste like Burger King. They all will be different, but it's a hamburger. You'll make a living. You'll you'll have a product. You'll have a company. And maybe you'll come up with a, um, a, a new form of a, a mobile phone. For example, I think you all have heard that uh, Elon Musk is coming up 
with a new phone called Pi. Hmm. No, you haven't. Oh, this is an no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a new phone, a mobile phone. It's going to work with satellites. Yeah, and it's already satellite ready. And then it's got a, a lot of amazing features that definitely uh, some people call it Apple killer. Now, mm. the point is, now here it is, a, you know, a company that is going to create, uh, to, to come up with a mobile phone. I mean, mobile phone is not an invention, right? It's just mm. new features added in there that he believes that nobody else would have. And this uh, a very functional phone, you could be on top of the mountain and still have internet. Mm. Right? Okay. So mm-hmm. my point is, uh, yeah, you may not ha- hit the home run, but at least you'll have a product that has quite a bit of differentiation, like you were talking about marketing aspect of it, that perhaps might be worth uh, giving it a try and, and, and being just another product out there, another option, another choice for the consumer. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to the strategy, right? The role in many cases of the, the of version one of a new product is in most cases, right, is not to establish a new technology, a new way of doing something that will be the basis for a business for the next 50 years, right? right. In most cases, the role of the V1 is just to put something out there, collect feedback from the market, right? And it's a basis for version two, which, we, which would fix the main problems. Okay, mm. if V1 is at least moderately successful, right? So, um, again, let, let's look at the two uh, the two kind of scenarios. The big company wants to bother you. Well, you pull out your version one is so tiny they don't even notice you. They don't care about you, right? So, when are they going to start to care about you when you maybe you? Put out your V2 or your or your V3, and it's good, and it starts to get a lot of attention in their industry. Then they're going to start to look at you. So, in that case, V1 is probably not when you need a patent anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Except in very specific, like for example, Dyson. You know, oh, the most people in the industry thought it was impossible to have a vacuum without a bag. You know? He did a proof of concept. It's possible. He made it work. You know, that that's a very specific case. Okay. Large market, very interesting innovation. Okay. But really, um, most new products are not in that category, right? Okay. Then let's look at the copycats. The copycats, um, and this is specifically the, the China copycats, your... Your patent, um, let's say your your main market, for example, in, is the European Union, and you you have a you know patent there, and um, all you can do then is prevent them from having distribution there. Okay. Um, now, if you also need to bother them in their, their home country, you also need to have a patent in China. You know, it the costs just pile up and pile up, and mm. if you do that in China, well. You go after them and they're going to just, you know, close one company, reopen another company. I mean, things are most of the time not going to be very easy to, to, to go after them, right? So when are these copycats going to try to have traditional traditional distribution? Probably not at the very beginning because at the very beginning, again, they're making one batch and they're just going to do online kind of advertisements and placements and so on, and they're going to drop ship it. So at the very beginning, there's not much you can do against them. And they will, uh, to my knowledge anyway, they will usually not try to patent the product. They just want to go and, you know, invade your market, steal it from under you, you abandon it, and is just for them to grab, right? That's what they that's what they want, usually. So at the very beginning, a patent is not going to be so useful again, right? So be very, very careful about a patent for version one of the product. 
it's not that useful. Okay. Mm, um, a lot of people will say, well, it's nice to mention in your marketing materials that it's patent pending and it's patented. That might be true, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure it's going to, to cause your sales to, to grow 50%, right? Uh, what is the tangible benefit of that? It's very difficult often to, uh, to put the finger on it. Even when trying to get some distribution deals and so on, the distributors, all they want to see is, okay, can I move this thing? Doesn't take too much space in my store. It's you know I know where to put it. Complementary to these other products, are they going to give me some support in sale in in the stores to to get it moving? Can I negotiate good payment terms? You know, uh, that's what's really important for them. Do I have exclusivity on my on on the market uh, in 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 these areas and so on? Right. Uh, I I don't think that's mentioning that there's a patent and especially patent pending because. You're not sure if you're going to really have the patent in the end. I'm not sure it's really that 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 important. What, what do you think? No, I, I totally agree. I, I think that that is one of the dilemmas of the situation when you're trying to you have a great idea and you're trying to patent it. You're not sure whether you should go for it. You're not sure if you're protected when you patent it. And you're not sure that if you don't patent it, how much you're protected, so which is basically none. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's one area that I think it's still a big question in in many people's um, you know who 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 actually apply for patent. Right, right. Um, and then another, I think that as a closing thought, if you patent your product, especially for your utility patent you are basically telling the world, you are explaining to the entire world, here is how it works, right? Exactly. You are making Mm. it public. Anybody, all your competitors can access the the patent documents and see, you know, the technical drawings and things. Okay, this is how it works. This is what they say is unique, ta-ta-ta-ta, okay. And then they can start to think, all right, how can we go around that? Or, Mm. you know, what countries... Um, do the patents apply apply to and where can we already you know, make the same thing, but they're not protected, right? So there's something to say about staying a little bit under the radar against, again, as I mentioned, not when it comes to market research and to, to talk to, to people and get feedback and get some sales and so on, but from the the rest of the industry. And there's really something to say about um, you know, the specific case where there's deep technical work. Uh, I, I think I knew just before the call, you mentioned something about GoPro and something that they did right that really helped them, you know, be relatively unique for a long period of time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, one of the unique things about GoPro, which was one of the best IPOs at the time, was because of the fact that they were doing that for over seven or eight years before anyone even find out, find out about them. For a long time, I had no idea what the word GoPro meant. No one knew that they're going to take the whole camcorder business. We're talking, you know, companies such as Sony, which were number one in camcorder. And here it is GoPro, small company just came out of nowhere and uh, took them by surprise. And I think one of their success was exactly what you were saying. They they kind of moved slowly. That they, they didn't do huge advertising until they actually started going IPO. And then once the product started becoming a lot more sophisticated and complex, and they started doing their own algorithms on the photos and writing their own uh, codes for creating their own chipset, that's when the product became extremely famous and extremely complex. And that's when they decided, okay, maybe we'll start uh, going IPO and patent and all that. But up until that point, no one even knew what GoPro was. And I think the fact that they were eight years ahead of, you know, even Chinese or whoever that wanted to copy them, they wouldn't catch up with them. 
they were way, way ahead with multiple products, multiple revisions of the product with huge billion dollars worth of investors back in them. So they were about to, you know, open and go, go places uh, that no other could in, if they tried to uh, copycat. And there were some copycats, the Chinese versions of the product, terrible photos and so forth, and really never, never succeeded. Mm. Right, right. So something to say about not forgetting to actually make a great product. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that's, that's a great, uh, a great closing remark, right? Mm. Exactly. Yep. Excellent. Well, that, that's a that's a really in-depth view of patents and when they might be necessary and what other options we have. Certainly sounds expensive. So I can understand why this is a, an area that hardware startups especially are concerned about. Because it's a lot of money for a hardware startup. So I hope that for the listeners, that gives you a little bit more grounding on when the right time is. We have talked about patents before and and ip protection in particular so as ever i will leave some links to our content in the show notes thanks everybody for listening and thank you renault and andrew for coming on hey thanks Thanks again thanks Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the sophie's group we're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in asia including inspections auditing new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfilment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com. That's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.